Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. This is what I've called the message. When bad things happen, the wheels fall off, life sucks, the dog dies, and your mother-in-law moves in. From Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, this is Crosswalk. Substituting for Pastor Clay this week, here is Steve Pierce. I'm not really glad to be here. I'd rather come and listen to Clay, <laughs> be honest with you. But uh, I appreciate the opportunity to come and share God's Word with you all. And um, I trust that as you have heard about what is happening with Clay, uh, he has a pulmonary embolism, and that's a really serious deal. Hey, it's a serious deal. Um, and I, I want to urge us just to pray together. And uh, before we pray, can I just get a, an agreement here that we want complete and full healing for him? Can I get an amen on that? Okay, so we agree together in the Spirit. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Father, we have agreed together. We have voiced our agreement that we want complete and full healing for our beloved pastor. We lift him up before you and Cindy. And Lord, we speak to those embolisms now in his leg and in his lungs. In the name of Jesus, we bear him up before you. The throne of grace. And Lord, it's grace and healing that he needs right now. And we ask that you would be kind to him. That you would touch his body right now. And bring that healing that he so needs This is a diversion, Lord. We don't understand it, and we have absolutely no idea why, but we trust you that your your servant clay is in your hands, and we commend him to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, For those that are visiting here today, um, Clay and Ed and myself were involved in a motorcycle accident. When was that, Ed? August the 14th, Clay was very badly hurt, Ed was very badly hurt, and I got off scot-free. Not even a scratch on my back. You think after an experience like that, you're going to ask why? I, I said to the Lord, and I'm going to just do what I always do, I'm going to hang my heart from the pulpit. Clay's life is much more valuable than me. He, he's, a, he's a pastor of a great church, beloved, and, and, and Lord, he's got this book, and he's, why? And so this message uh, I wrote, uh, and I started it um, during that period, a week or two after the accident, and this is what I've called the message. When bad things happen, the wheels fall off, life sucks, The dog dies, and your mother-in-law moves in. (laughs) Okay, some of you better be careful here. You know why? Because we've all been there. We've all been there. Haven't you? I mean, has anybody here never been in a situation where, man, you just don't know the way out? You ask these questions, why, 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 and, and the heavens are quiet, and, and, you know, it's just like crazy. 
And where do you go when, when stuff like that happens? A year or two ago, uh, our grandbaby died, 20 weeks old. Where do you go? When that, I'm not talking about you broke up with your boyfriend, boo-hoo, you know, and that kind of stuff. Or, you know. I'm talking about the real serious junk of life. Where do you go when that stuff happens? Well, I want to tell you, you go to God. And that's, this message today came out of that. It came out of my search to find meaning and understanding from the situation. And so I turned to the Old Testament, to the book of Habakkuk. Yeah, it really is a book called Habakkuk, and it really is in the Old Testament. If you've got it, open it. But I think a lot of things, a lot of it will be on the, on the, on the, on the screen here. I mean, this is so modern, I don't even know what to call it. Um, so here's the deal with Habakkuk. I'm telling you, dude, you don't even know. Um, Habakkuk was a friend of Jeremiah. Now, his book falls into a group of 12 books, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Abadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Haggai, Zechariah, Zechariah, Malachi. Okay, his, his book falls into that group which we call the Minor Prophets. I was just chatting to some guys before, and I want to just say to you that they are Minor Prophets, not because their message is unimportant, but simply because of the size. There's three chapters. Jonah, there's four chapters. Obadiah, there's one chapter. So it's a minor prophet in the sense of its volume, not in terms of its message. The book of Habakkuk was written around about uh, 640 BC. Okay? A huge event happened around about that time. I'll buy you lunch if you can tell me what it was. I'll buy you lunch. Come on. Nope. Nope. I'm going to buy you. Look, I'm desperate now. I'm a successful realtor now. I'm desperate to get rid of some money. It was the Battle of Carchemish. The Battle of Carchemish was between the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Assyrians. The Battle of Carchemish annihilated the Assyrians and it caused the Egyptians to be a no factor in the world. It was the rise of the Babylonian Empire and it began the downward steps of the defeat of Judah and Israel. And it's like the enemy was parked at the doorstep of Habakkuk and Jeremiah. No wonder he's the weeping prophet. And so Habakkuk, like any faithful believer, he turns to God and he opens the book. Let me read you just uh, a couple of uh, uh, words from the first chapter, if I can find my glasses again. There he is somewhere. Okay, are they on the screen? Probably, okay. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, okay? Now this is what Habakkuk saying to God. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists, contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored. Justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore justice comes out perverted. Hey, listen, it sounds like Durham. 
It sounds like Raleigh, Wake Forest. It sounds like the world that we live in. Listen, that could have been taken from the news and observer today. There's no justice. And when it does happen, it's perverted. Every time you want to see a policeman, you never see one except when your meter's expired. Come on. You know, they're lurking behind trees to give you traffic fines, but when somebody's getting beaten up in the neighborhood, it takes them ages to get there. This is, this is part of life sucks. It's terrible. And it's what Habakkuk saw. He said it's not fair. This is a scenario where the baddies are winning. Why, Lord, why is life like this? It's the same question that I was asking after the accident, Ed. Why, Lord, why? Why is all this bad stuff stuff happening to my buddies? Why doesn't it happen to people I don't care about? I don't care. But why is it my Christian friends are struggling like this? Why is it that people lose babies and people die of cancer and all this horrible, why, Lord, why? The sad thing about, oh, it's not a sad thing, it's just a reality. The reality is that God answers Habakkuk. Now, what would you expect If you said to God, why is all this bad stuff happening? What would you expect God to reply? Well, my child, hangest thou therefore in. Because verily I am going to bless you ultimately. And God answers him. And he says, it's going to get worse. And then he begins to describe the the strategy of the Babylonians who come bent on murder, who come not just to kill, but to annihilate God's people. And so this message comes out of that. It comes out of, what do you do? For goodness sake, what do you do when you have prayed and you've asked for this? I'm in a financial bind. Lord, if I could just get a couple of thousand dollars, I'm in a health bind. I'm in a, I'm in a, I've, questions about theology I have questions where is God and hence the 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 title of the message when bad things happen now if you're a theologian like some of our uh, our young preachers here this message deals with the problem of theodicy why do bad things happen to good people thank God John 16 33 is in the Bible In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But please don't forget the first bit. What do you do? What do you do when life falls apart, you can't find the answers? I want to suggest that many people are not looking in the right direction. Let me take you to this moment when everything went south. The country's about to be invaded. Justice never happens. The police were incompetent. The news is filled with murders and corruption. And this man, Habakkuk, a friend of Jeremiah, writes this note, this book. How long? Why, why do you make me look at this stuff? I cry out. I cry, and that's a, a very intense word in Hebrew. I cry out. Lord, I'm tired of crying myself to sleep because I'm so frustrated. I don't have the answers to all these questions that I have. And so this, this is relevant for me. This is what came out of the motorcycle accident as I, as I witnessed that. The same questioning, the same worries. Lord, do you love me more than clay? That, I know that's not true. 
Is there a reason behind this? Why clay and not me? And so I went to the Word of God, and I found this book, Habakkuk. Now, if you've got the print version of your Bible, I want you to write above the title of Habakkuk. Here's a great summary of the whole book. It's called From Worry to Worship. Because in the beginning of the book, you can hear this, this complaint, this, this crisis and problem and impatience and worry and how long and I'm crying out. But read the end of the book. Listen to what it says. The last verse of the last chapter. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like that of a deer. He makes my feet go to the heights or the depths of the desert or the fire or the drought. God gives me the equipment to get through the problems of life. And then he says, as a note at the end, (coughs) to the worship leader, sing this stuff from worry to worship. I want to know how to get there, don't you? I want to get from continually worrying about everything to get to the point of worshiping and trusting God. I want to know the process that Habakkuk discovered because it's here in the book if you just take the time to look at it. The answers are fourfold. Four principles that Habakkuk gives to lift you from the pit and take you to the palace. Four things as old as Scripture itself that people have been putting into place when faced with the most terrible circumstances, and they're all found in the second chapter. So here's a truth to live by. Number one, it's better to watch than to worry. God heard the cry of his beloved prophet, and he says, okay, my child Habakkuk, here's the deal. It's going to get worse. Hey, just read the the rest of the first chapter if you feel like it. Not now because you you lose where I'm going. But it speaks about this Babylonian horde that are coming to destroy Israel and wipe them off the face of the earth. It describes that they're they're going to be fished with a net. Then they're going to be taken out with a hook. There will not be anyone left behind. And so Habakkuk looks at this scenario And in chapter 2, verse 1, is the first key. It says this, I will stand at my watch. What can you do? Listen, if God has purposed that some terrible fate is going to happen to you, if God has purposed that your life road has a huge bend in it, what can you do? You can kick against it, you can fight it, you can argue about it, you can, you can, you can shake your, your angry fist in the face of God, but it will not change it because God is sovereign. He can do what he wants. So all you can do if you are a faithful and mature believer, I believe all you can do is stand at your watch. And the purpose of a watch in, in uh, ancient times was to be observant, And also, it is a place where you could pray and and speak with the Lord. Obviously, it comes out of a military kind of of background. One One of the biggest realizations of my young Christian life was that God isn't here just for the good times. He's not just here for the bad times. God is here for all the times. 
He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never ever leave you to do this on your own. But he wants to put you in the place where you ought to be in troubled and difficult times. And that place is to be a watchman on the walls. Watching and seeing what is going to happen. You must have a realization that you are God's child. You are the Savior's son. You are an heir of God's promise. You are the child of an unbreakable covenant. You are a soldier in the army and you are a watchman on the walls. And so when life sucks, become a watchman. Start looking at what's going on. Be an observer related to the scriptures that you know. Seek to understand what is going on as part of God's plan. You see, the one thing I learned as a, as a, a very young Christian, guys, was that God never has to say, oops, I missed that. Didn't see that one coming. Oops. God knows He understands. He has a plan and a purpose, and it cannot be defeated. He never has to say, I didn't see that coming, man. He knew exactly what he was doing that day near Winston-Salem when we were on those motorbikes going for a weekend in the mountains. He knew exactly what was going on. And our job now, Ed, For me and you, it's to watch and pray and and pray for Clay and Cindy. It's to watch what's going on and watch if God wants to change other people's lives because of our testimony of God's sustaining and healing power in the life of our beloved pastor and in the life of our brother Ed as well. It's better to watch than to worry. Get it straight, church. Worry changes nothing. It's better to watch. Stand at your watch and pray. Secondly, this is very cool, because in chapter 2 verse 4, it says the second important thing that you should do when, when the wheels fall off, it says this, the just shall live by faith. I don't know about you if you found this yet, but there is no other way that will please God other than a life of faith. We don't live by explanations. We don't live by, by understanding all the ins and outs of everything that's going to happen. We don't live by, well, questioning. We live by faith. And as far as I understand from Jesus' brother James, faith without works is dead. And so work it. Work that faith. Don't just talk about it. Put that faith into action. You know, many people when they face, for example, a financial crisis, the first thing they do is stop tithing. That should be the very last thing that you're thinking of. The first thing when people go through a difficult time, I mean really like the the death and divorce and all that kind of stuff, stop coming to church. That should be the very last thing that you're thinking about. You need to work at faith. You need to faith it through. That's what Habakkuk is saying, let me tell you, by the way, the guys who are studying the scriptures, it took three New Testament books to explain that one sentence, the just shall live by faith. Galatians, I guess Romans, and Colossians. Three New Testament books to explain the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk got it. That's the only way you can live. How else can you live if you don't live by faith? And so, 
We need to watch. We need to work. Okay. Some cool exegesis. Here's a third thing. Habakkuk 2.14. It's one of my favorite verses. Not my favorite. 2.20 is my favorite verse in the Bible. But 2.14 is my second favorite verse. It goes like this. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And so my third thing is, watch, work it, wait. Because in the end, Jesus wins. In the end, if you're a child of God, you get to go to heaven and spend eternity with him. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That's the same as the verse that says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's the same meaning. Habakkuk had it thousands of years before, hundreds of years at least before. Romans 14, 11 says, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge me. Habakkuk says it different. He says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Now, I wonder if you see the problem. Caleb. How can the waters cover the sea? The waters are the sea, dude. How can the waters cover the sea? The waters are the sea. We know what it means, but what is the illustration? What is the, what is the metaphor that he's using here? And it's very cool. I really, really enjoy this. And it's the one that, I mean, you can interpret it any way you like and come up with some other great exegesis. I don't know why you'd need an extra Jesus, but come up with him anyway. Um, The waters cover the sea. Who can tell me what the sea... Okay, this is lunch again. You get a second time to have lunch on me. Who can tell me what the sea is in the Old Testament? No. That's a good answer, though. No, it's not. Who can tell me? Yes, sir. Ah, no, 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 no. I told you about this. Uh, You, how can you put up your... Thank, thank you very, very much. Who can tell me what the sea is? It's very interesting. The sea in the Old Testament was the bronze laver that was filled with water in the temple that the priests used to wash their hands and wash themselves after making the sacrifice. It was referred to as the sea or the bronze sea. Now you say, Steve, you've got to be kidding. No, I'm not kidding. I actually did some research on this. Second Kings 1617. I don't know if we got that uh, uh, up there. Second Kings 1617, Second Kings 2513, First Chronicles 188 and Jeremiah 5217. And so this, this bronze laver in the temple, this bronze bowl that was used for the priests to wash their hands, was commonly just called the sea. Now, if you are a, a student of the book of Revelation, so interesting this. In the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 6, and chapter 15, verse 2, it speaks about some of the furniture in heaven, and it speaks about a sea of glass. Glass, y'all. Okay? A sea of glass, y'all. Okay? What's the deal? Thank you so much. What's the deal here? 
Because in heaven, there's no sin to be washed away. It's a pure, pure glass, pure water in it. It's there to remind the people that your iniquities have been washed away. Now it's a sea of glass and it's pure because you are pure. And so I imagine in my sanctified mind, most of the time, except when I'm on 540 (laughs) at 9 a.m., I imagine in my mind, here's Habakkuk, and he's trying to get across to people like him who who can't make sense of all the junk that's going on in the world around them. I can't make sense of this. What is, why, what's going on? I'm looking at injustice all the time. And and, and God says to him, one day, one day, every knee's going to bow, man. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. You see, he'd been to the temple. He'd seen the priests cleaning out the old water and putting their fresh water in. And as the water lapped over the rim of the bronze laver, this connection perhaps in his mind said, you know, one day the world is going to know my God just like that. The world is going to know that the Jehovah God is the only true God. They're going to know that he is the only way to salvation. Just like The waters cover the sea. Everybody is going to know there'll be no excuse. How cool is that? I mean, that comes out of left field, eh? I would love you to come up with a different interpretation, and I'm sure there are many. But I just love this thought of the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Don't worry. Just like the waters cover the sea, it's going to happen. God wins in the end. Read the last chapter of Revelation. It's going to all be okay in the end. Right now, life may suck. My wife keeps saying to me, don't use that, please. In fact, she said it at least five times this morning. But the truth is, it does sometimes. But in the end, Jesus wins. In the end... Like the waters cover the sea, there's not one little place hidden from God's sight where the knowledge of him will not be known. God will be everywhere and in everything. Okay, <laughs> wait. And so here's the deal, you know, Ed, again, maybe this is a sermon. This should have been a sermon just for you and me, actually. We should have sat down and done this together. You know, I keep saying, let's just wait and clay. Let's just wait. God wins in the end. Clay's going to be healed. He's going to be back on track playing golf. Probably won't ride that silly BMW. He might buy himself a decent bike like a Harley. But in the end, God wins. And we come finally. And some of you are saying, finally. Listen, I have ten different ways of saying finally. So don't get excited now. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20. This is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Now remember what we're talking about here is what to do when the wheels fall off in your life. You need to, you need to watch and you need to wait and you need to work. But you also need to worship. Check this out. Habakkuk 2.20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep quiet before him. I am just sick of people criticizing my Savior, my faith, the life that I believe is the only one and true uh, uh, God that I worship. I'm just sick of it. Sometimes I just want to say to people, shut up. 
I'm not allowed to say that either. So. But the truth of the matter is, let me say it to you like an old preacher says it. God is where he should be. Y'all shut up. Nobody has moved God out of his place. Nobody has invaded heaven. No demon has ever got so close to God that he has affected him. No uh, philosophy professor has ever argued God out of existence. The Lord is where he should be. He is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep quiet before him. Politicians, listen to me now. My Jesus has the real government on his shoulder. Mr. Devil, he's got you on speed dial. He's got your number, dude. The Lord is in his holy temple. And if you read Cindy's quote on Facebook this week, his temple is me and it's you. The Lord's there. He's in your heart if you love him and you have submitted to his authority and received him as your personal savior. Then the Lord is in you. Your heart is his home. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. He's the shade at my right hand. He's my closest friend, my victor, my champion, my sustainer. He has not moved an inch. He is in his holy temple. Look, bad things are going to happen. What must I do, Steve? You need to watch and work. Work that faith, man. You need to wait and see what God is going to do. And you need to worship him. I want to wrap this up. Now I really want to wrap it up. And I want to tell you something about my early life. Just an illustration. Because I fear that not many people get it. I fear that many people have kind of been inoculated about Christianity. But they haven't got the real disease. When I was a young kid, I grew up in a a little village in Wales. The village's name is Llanergain. If you can say that, I'll buy you lunch. <laughs> it's not as bad as That's the second longest name of a place in the world. But Llanergain is a pretty cool place. And I grew up, believe it or not, guys, when there was no TV. And people used to entertain themselves in our little village by... Like, I don't know how to describe it in American terms. Like wandering minstrels. We would have groups and speakers and, and, uh, uh, and it would be on the village green in summer when the sun went down like 10 o'clock at night. And, and we would all get together and we would have these, you know, the Welsh are very well known for the Welsh male voice choir. Have you guys seen that on YouTube, the Only Boys Allowed? A-L-O-U-D. How many, A-L-O-U-D. How many have seen that on YouTube? Isn't it cool? It's very cool. And so the whale, uh, the whale, the Welsh male voice choir is a very, very uh, big phenomenon that came out of the revival times when people, uh, like the, they didn't need police because there was no crime. The pubs were empty and the men had nothing to do, so they started singing. And, uh, and so I grew up in the, 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 early, uh, the late 50s and the early 60s. Yes, I am that old in this little village and we would have famous 
speakers and tenors and, and all get on the village green. Well, one day they announced that they were going to have this great speaker. Now, this is one of the real big-time dudes. This was like the, uh, uh, who's the big uh, country singer? Kenny Chesney? This is the Welsh version of Kenny Chesney, okay, or whoever. We all got ready, and that night it was, it was wonderful to hear uh, this guy. He could, he could quote, boom, 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 anything. People would ask him, you know, can you quote something? Can you sing something? And he would sing in English or Welsh, and, uh, and it was great. Towards the end of the evening, he, he kind of threw out a challenge. He said, if there's any man in the congregation... Oh, in the audience, that uh, would like to challenge me to a recital. You guys can all be the judges and we'll have this recital. So everybody sat still. Nobody's going nobody's gonna to do this. They'd heard him. But there was one guy in, in our town, and his name was John the Thatch. John the Thatch had a little farm with a thatch roof, so they called him John the Thatch. And he had the worst stutter imaginable. He gets up from the back of the village green and he walks to the front. Now the speaker doesn't know. There's going to be some serious embarrassment here now. Comes to the front and, and by the way, guys, we didn't have this stuff. Okay? You just let it fly, man. You just let it fly. So this famous speaker, he says to him, hello, sir, um, okay, what would you like to do, sing or recite something, poetry, what, what, what will it be? And John the Thatcher, Psalm 23, ah, the Bible. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in Wales where I grew up. <laughs> I remember, we used to get caned. Anybody here got caned with a cane? If you did a switch, you're all lucky. Okay, good night. All right, well, we used to get cane for anything. I mean, with a cane, you could choose the cane. You could get the thin one that whooped around you, or you could get the hard one. I like the one that whooped around you, because I used to always put stuff in my trousers. So when it whooped, it would hit that. Anyway, how did I get to that? How did I get to that? Dang. Okay, Psalm 23. So this, this great, oh, we grew up in school. You had to learn the Bible. Okay, how many of you had to do that? You had to learn. You see, no wonder Britain used to rule the waves. Now they just wave the rules. But that's another thing. You had to learn the Bible and the Lord's Prayer and the hymns and, and of course, Psalm 23. You had to learn that. Everybody in Wales can recite it, could then. So this famous speaker, he stands there in his beautiful Welsh voice, which I absolutely cannot uh, mimic in any way, began to recite, The Lord is my shepherd, with the right intonation and vibrato and whatever. And, and at the end, the people applauded. They clapped and they just said, Wow, we've never, never heard Psalm 23 recited like that. And then he said to, the, to <laughs> John the Thatch, Okay, sir, now it's your turn. And old John the Thatch, I'll never forget. He stood there and he looked at the people. He'd grown up in the town, the little village. And he looked at them and he, and he said, the, 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 the,
My shepherd. I shall not want. And he stumbled and stuttered through that 23rd Psalm. At the end when he finished, nobody said anything. There wasn't a, there wasn't a dry eye on that village green. And that speaker did something that I've never, ever forgotten. He came and put his arm around John the Thatch. And he said to us sitting there, he said, folks, there's one big difference between me and this man. I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. And that, that's the deal with getting through life's tragedies. That's the deal of watching and working and waiting and worshipping. You've got to know the shepherd. So many people are faking it. So many people are just, they come to church and they do the motions and, and, and come the day when, when something bad happens, their life falls apart because they have no anchor. They know the 23rd Psalm. They know the Gospel of Mark. If they've been in this church, they certainly do. But they don't know the shepherd. They don't really know the shepherd. Don't go out in that condition today. Don't go out saying, you know, I know a lot about the Bible. I've got a bit of a handle on this. But I don't really know him like that. Because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring for you. I don't know what the next day, I don't know what God has in plan for you. I don't even know what he has in, in plan for me. But I know in the end that Jesus wins. And I know in the end that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. I know that. I know that because I know the shepherd. Thanks for joining us for this week's Crosswalk. We're all wishing Pastor Clay a speedy recovery. And prayerfully, he'll be back delivering next week's message. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their lives feel disconnected with the type of life and faith that they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy of I Get It today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. 
We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where you're so hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.